trending on Twitter this week was Ben Shapiro for his rendition of the female empowerment song WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. The left wasted no time in condemning Ben Shapiro for this act of wrong think against female empowerment and against Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. I have a lot of thoughts on this development to share with you today. For the month of August, I am giving you a weekly update on the biggest news stories of the week and my insights on them. Today is also the day that Catholics remember around the world St. Maximilian Kolbe. St. Kolbe was imprisoned at a Nazi concentration camp. When the guards decided to execute some of the prisoners by starvation, Maximilian Kolbe volunteered to take the place of a man who had a family and he died in the concentration camp after sacrificing his life to save the life of another prisoner. That's the bravery and the sacrifice that we need today and every day as well. I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. I'm a liberty-loving, tyranny-hating lawyer based in your nation's capital. My goal is to keep you informed and to be your spokesman in Washington, D.C. I just want to welcome all the new viewers that we have, especially from around the world, particularly the countries of Indonesia and India. I know there are many lovers of liberty and haters of tyranny in these countries, and I want to learn from your experiences with these topics in your countries. I also want to thank all the viewers for your excellent comments and your input on the news stories that we've been following in these very important areas of liberty, tyranny, the Second Amendment, the mainstream media, the Supreme Court. Please keep your comments coming. I hope that you will subscribe below to this channel so you don't miss an episode. Hit the bell and comment down below on what topics you would like me to cover next. The first topic to share with you today is about the biggest news of the week, Kamala Harris being picked as Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate for the presidential election 2020. But I feel like this is the most boring news of the week too. Kamala was the obvious choice to be his running mate. She's a woman. She is ethnic. She is someone who has ascended to the highest level of elected office as a United States Senator of one of the largest, most populous states in the entire country. And compared to the other people that were on Joe Biden's list, she is a clear winner. She was the easy choice for him to make. Think about other people that he was considering, congressmen, uh, a mayor of Michigan, or I'm sorry, the governor of Michigan, Susan Rice, who has never held elected office. And it just seems very clear that Kamala Harris was the obvious pick for Joe Biden. So that's why that part of this development in the presidential horse race is so uninteresting. But the things that are interesting about this development are the other news items that have come out related to Joe Biden's pick of Kamala Harris for his vice presidential running mate. And I wanna share with you one of these news items 
when Hillary Clinton was approached about whether or not she would be willing to serve in a Biden administration, I'm going to link to this Fox News article that's where she says, I'm ready to help any way I can. Clinton served alongside Biden in the Obama administration as Secretary of State. So imagine that if Joe Biden is elected, it is very, very likely that he would want to appeal to all of the frustrated Democrat voters who were upset that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election, and he would give her a plum position in his administration. Now, she's already served as Secretary of State, but that would be my bet for what she would require Biden to nominate her for in order to serve in his administration. Why do you ask? Because among cabinet members, the Secretary of State is first in line of succession to the presidency among the cabinet members. So you have the vice president serves if the president is unable to serve. Then it goes to the Speaker of the House, which of course right now is Nancy Pelosi. So imagine Nancy Pelosi going from being voted into office by a small congressional district in California that is the leftest of the left districts probably and being elevated to the Oval Office. If that's not a scary thought, I don't know what is. So then after the vice president, the speaker of the house, then the next in the line of succession for the presidency is the president pro tempore of the Senate. And then after that is the Secretary of State. So the Secretary of State is the highest ranking cabinet member. And although Hillary has already served as Secretary of State, and you might think, well, why would she do that? Why would she put herself in that position if she could have been president and now is not? We see so much talk about whether or not Joe Biden would be able to serve out his term if he were elected. Think about that. Hillary Clinton could be elevated by Joe Biden and his team to Secretary of State and be so close in line of succession to the Oval Office. That is a frightening, frightening thought. So then another news item that I thought was really important this week is that Biden has called for a three-month national mask mandate. And he said in relation to this, be a patriot. And I think that is just astonishing. It seems like he's running for president of a different country, not America. That's the kind of thing that other countries do to force their citizens to wear certain clothing in a repressive way. That is not the American way. So to talk about a three-month national mask mandate and targeting it as this tagline of be a patriot, it is just incongruous. Um, we have the slogans in America of live free or die. Give me liberty or give me death. But Joe Biden's slogan seems to be wear a mask or go to jail. That does not fit with the American expression of freedom and liberty and against tyranny. So then I wanted to draw your attention to this news story, which I think perfectly aligns with what Joe Biden is suggesting as a three-month mask mandate. We've got crazy people saying in Wisconsin, government officials, a Wisconsin state agency, I'm going to link to this article down below, telling their employees to wear masks during Zoom calls, even if they're home alone. 
So I don't know if this gives the background on the entire effort to control Americans and make them do things that have questionable scientific backing behind them. But the idea that a government agency, a state agency of Wisconsin, would tell government employees to wear masks on Zoom calls, where obviously there is no scientific basis for pre preventing the spread of disease, particularly even if they're home alone, it shows the underlying science behind this is not science, as the left keeps complaining that the Trump administration and that uh, Republican governors are not following the science. Well, how can they claim they're for science when they have absurd edicts like this? And it shows you that it's so much about politics and about a power grab and about controlling people that it goes very well into this entire idea that Joe Biden is trying to put forward of making a three-month nationwide mask mandate. It's just crazy, people. The second topic that I want to share with you today is about Kamala Harris and her history of anti-gun policy and procedure in California. I think that's a big advantage of having someone with Kamala Harris's background in politics is that you can look and see her voting record in the Senate and you can see what she did as attorney general in California. And she should be held to account for the actions that she took in the Senate and in California. I'm going to link to this excellent piece. Uh, entitled A Closer Look at the Anti-Gun Activism of Kamala Harris. And it's by our friend Cam Edwards that we spoke with at CPAC. And we talked about this upcoming presidential election in 2020 and how the Second Amendment is really at stake here in this election. It's at stake in every election, but it's particularly at stake in this election. And if you read this article, which I commend highly to you, it talks about the efforts that Kamala Harris made to push more gun control as attorney general. So this is what I'm gonna outline for you. During her time as attorney general, for example, quoting from this piece by Cam Edwards, Travis said that Kamala Harris attempted to broaden the definition of an assault weapon under California law to go after semi-automatic 22LR rimfire rifles and have them banned. These were the very same rifles being used by Boy Scouts in the state, but Harris apparently believed that they were too dangerous for civilian lists. So then uh, the article goes on to talk about other activities that Kamala Harris took as attorney general in California to restrict the citizens' gun rights. We're talking about law-abiding citizens. So treating law-abiding citizens like they were dangerous and that they should have their fundamental constitutional right to keep and bear arms to defend themselves, to defend other vulnerable members of their communities. That's what Cam Edwards is talking about and highlighting for you in this piece about what Kamala Harris did as Attorney General of California. And then what did she do for the law-breaking people of California, the felons, the people who are in jail because they are so dangerous? We have, I'm gonna highlight this for you from the article, quoting from Cam Edwards' article. We have a program here in California to track felons, Travis explains. And when Kamala Harris was in charge of the California Department of Justice, they had over 30,000 felons that they knew most likely were in illegal possession of firearms. They went after six 
people, six out of 30,000 felons. Yet she had no problem drumming up laws to go after people like you and me who are law-abiding gun owners. And if you're really about firearm safety, if you're really about protecting the people, if you're really the great attorney, that great of an attorney general, why didn't you go to homes where you knew the people who were already felons actually were and take those guns off the street? So you can see the complete hypocrisy of Kamala Harris on this issue and effort to take firearms from people who should have them, who should have the ability to have them, who are law abiding and the inability or ineffectiveness or decision not to go after people who have de demonstrated their criminality and their dangerousness. I also want to point you to this other article, which is excellent in the Washington Times, talking about how the headline is gun control is a sleeper issue compared to past elections. Trump focuses on violent crimes as Biden favors background checks. In this article, whether or not you agree with the headline of it or the characterization of it, I think it's really important because it confirms this issue that we've been following for you a long time about the Second Amendment, how that used to not be a partisan issue. Democrats either supported gun, uh, the ability to keep and bear arms under the Second Amendment, or they at least tried to court people who strongly, firmly believe that the Second Amendment undergirds all of our other constitutional rights. And we've seen a shift in the Democratic Party. And this article goes through talking about Joe Biden's efforts to increase gun control that he has gone full bore on with the kind of wing of the Democratic Party like Beto O'Rourke saying, yes, I am going to come and get your AR-15, this full-throated attack on the Second Amendment. And yet they still talk about this, this fealty to the Second Amendment. But in reality, all of their efforts are designed to inhibit law-abiding citizens' ability to keep and access firearms. And this article, I think, goes into what President Trump has done, too, in talking about how there was a lot of blowback on President Trump for banning of bump stocks after the Las Vegas massacre and how a lot of Second Amendment fans were upset at President Trump for doing that. And yet many other fans of the Second Amendment feel like President Trump has a lot of evidence to show that he has been the most pro-Second Amendment president in recent memory in modern history. And this article goes through all of that evidence for you. So I commend it very much to read. So even though the Democrats would like you to believe that the only people who care about the Second Amendment are those who are bitter, who cling to their religion and cling to their guns, we know that that is not true. There are so many people who are gun owners in this country, and there's so many people who are not gun owners and still feel like this is a fundamental civil right that they don't want to give up. And they understand that even if they themselves choose not to carry or, or to have firearms, that they benefit from having good guys with guns. And so this is going to continue to be an issue in the presidential election, and we're going to keep keeping track of it for you. The third topic that I would like to share with you is on foreign policy. This was a very exciting and thrilling development that happened this week. I'm going to link to this Fox News piece that is entitled Netanyahu Hails. 
Israel-UAE deal as the greatest advancement toward peace in two decades. Netanyahu predicted other Arab and Muslim countries will join our circle of peace. So we hear on the left all the time that the Republicans are warmongers and that all they do is they want to get us into these endless wars and we keep losing and everything's going to be another Vietnam. And you might remember that when President Trump targeted the Iranian general Soleimani in December, we had endless speculation by talking heads who were screaming about the war that President Trump was driving us into, that he was a warmonger, that he was going to get us into this another quagmire in the Middle East. And yet, when we see this exciting news that there is more peace being brokered by the Trump administration in the Middle East, particularly among Israel and another Arab nation, that reminds all of us of two prior situations where Israel made peace with Egypt, uh, which were, that was a historic moment in time, uh, probably the most important moment after the 1948 um, creation of the state of Israel and when Israel made peace with Jordan. Here's yet another result that President Trump has not only delivered to the American people, but also to the world community in that it is increasing, increasing peace in the world and particularly to the very war-torn area of the Middle East and North Africa. So I just thought that it was time for a victory tour for the Trump administration. And it's a complete refutation of all the criticism of him by the leftist talking heads on the cable news. And I thought Don Trump Jr. said it best in this tweet. Trump gets a peace deal done between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And he didn't even spend $150 billion didn't even send $150 billion to the world's leading sponsor of terror to make it happen. Makes you wonder what those other clowns in government have been doing for the past few decades. And thank you so much, Don Jr., for pointing that out, because Americans were outraged at the secret deal done by the Obama administration with the theocratic uh, government of Iran sending pallets and pallets of cash, not only to this bad uh, dictatorship of Iran. And remember, I am a tyranny hating lawyer and I feel so much pain for the people of Iran that they are subjected to this theocratic government that tells them what they must wear, how they must act. And there's very little ability in Iran to have the flourishing of liberty that's not just an American value, it's, an, it's a human value. It's something that people from time in memoriam have wanted and have struggled for and have sacrificed for. And so to see that the Trump administration, instead of bribing or paying off this country like the Obama administration did, they were able to do it above board and to create something that hasn't happened. It's only happened two other times in the history of the state of Israel, the modern history of the state of Israel. And this was the president that is constantly, he is constantly called Hitler, he's constantly called a Nazi, he's constantly called anti-Semitic, and yet he is the president who moved the American embassy to Jerusalem after president, American president after American president said they were gonna do this and then 
when they campaigned and then once they got in office, they didn't. He is getting results. And you might think, well, what does it matter? It's a different country. It's not our concern. If we are able to increase the peace in the world at low sacrifice to American citizens, then we all benefit from that. And not just Americans benefit from this, but the entire world benefits this. So I think we just have to give a lot of praise and kudos to the Trump administration for be, being able to orchestrate this normalization of relationships between the state of Israel and the UAE. The fourth topic I want to bring to your attention today, we have been following the progress in the Obamagate investigation. And I want to point out to you this article entitled AG Barr on DOJ's Russian Collusion Origins Probe. A new development will drop today. So uh, Bill Barr had this interview when he was talking about John Durham's investigation into the origins of the Russian collusion narrative hoax. And there has been so much speculation and there's been an attempt by Democrats and people on the left to intimidate the Department of Justice and Bill Barr and John Durham not to release any information about this investigation until after the election so as to avoid being political. And yet that in itself is a political action. And certainly if roles were reversed, the Democrats would not be suggesting that that's the case. And that's quite ironic given that that January 5th meeting when uh, President Obama met with Vice President Biden, Susan Rice, James Comey, and they were talking about going after Flynn for this investigation. And remember, Flynn was Donald Trump's selection for the National Security Advisor. As KT McFarlane has repeatedly said, General Flynn knew where the bodies were buried. And so we're going to be watching this very closely. And we're going to come back to you with any updates on this in the future. The fifth topic that I have to share with you today is a case that is close to our heart and to the hearts of the viewers of this channel. General Michael Flynn, he had a big hearing before the full appellate court this week and the ability of the petitioners in this case to present their case before the appellate court and for everybody to hear the arguments that they made. And I'm going to link to this piece entitled DC Circuit Court Grills Lawyers in Flynn Case Over Whether Case Should Be Dropped. The full court heard the case after a panel ruled in Flynn's favor. And this is written by Ron Blitzer at Fox News. And just to cut to the chase, it seems from the composition of the appellate, appellate court, most of the judges were appointed by Democrats and it's the, the court is heavy with Democrat appointees. And given the lines of questioning that they gave to the lawyers who, who came forward with their oral arguments, it seems like the appellate court is not gonna give General Michael Flynn the relief that he asked for and the justice that he deserves. So we don't have a ruling on this case yet, but we're gonna keep following it for you. This is a complete miscarriage of justice. And it not only implicates the rights of General Michael Flynn, as we have said over and over again, it also implicates all of our rights because we have a separation of powers that protects the constitutional rights of citizens. And if we allow judges to act as prosecutors, which is what Judge Emmett Sullivan in this case wants to do, 
it doesn't work. The whole system falls apart. The judge is supposed to be neutral. He is not supposed to have a dog in the race. He is supposed to be someone who is able to be objective and to protect the rights of the criminal defendant as much as making sure that the process is fair. And when you have a complete train wreck of a case like this, where the Department of Justice has said in voluminous filings why they want to dismiss the charges against General Michael Flynn and why there are separation of powers issues in allowing this judge to continue to go rogue, you can see why it's not just a case about General Michael Flynn, it's a case about all of us. So we're gonna continue to follow this for you and uh, be sure to read this excellent piece by Ron Blitzer at Fox News if you're interested in more details. The sixth topic for you today is our mainstream media watch. We try to call out the mainstream media on all their attempts to avoid objectivity and neutrality and to jump in and to throw the race to whatever preferred candidate they have. We're certainly seeing that with the New York Times this week. At the New York Times this week, the push is to allege that, quote, President Trump is trying to undermine mail voting before the presidential election. And the headline of the New York Times said, Trump versus the post office. So you see they're trying to continually make out President Trump, not only to be a bad guy, but also to be a bad sport, someone who is cheating. And so that is the attempt that we're seeing the narrative that the New York Times is pushing this week, which means that all the other mainstream media outlets are also pushing this. So I want to share with you something that I found very interesting in Pennsylvania. So I'm going to link to this article from a local news station where it says Governor Wolf administration asked the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to extend mail in voting deadlines. So you might think, well, you know, we have this coronavirus COVID thing going on. And so we want to make it easy for people to vote. And what time is more important for an election than when you've had all this disruption and all this government action and the people need a chance to hold their politicians accountable. And so we need to make it as easy as people as easy as possible for people to vote. And then I'm reading along in this article and it's supposed to be, you know, neutral objective. It's from like a local thing. And then it is very interesting that they, uh, here we go, this, article, this line I wanna outline for you. So this is just stated as matter of fact, the court filing in Pennsylvania came the same day that President Trump frankly acknowledged that he is starving the US Postal Service of money in order to make it harder to process an expected surge of mail-in ballots, which he worries could cost him election, an election. He didn't say that. Nowhere did he say that. We're talking about political wranglings over balloting and counting ballots, and this is nothing new. Think about the Bush versus Gore election. Think about Nixon versus JFK. Think about in the, the 1800s, there were issues about the proper way to count ballots and how to um, make sure that the security of the election system, the electoral system was intact. This is nothing new, but can you see how in, in articles like this, they just slip in this partisanship, they slip in this, 
you know, dig at President Trump in a way that they present it like it's not an opinion. It's not a fact that they're trying to persuade you of. They're just saying it like it's the truth. So I think it's very important as we continue to see the mainstream media reporting, even in local news, even in local television, that it is biased and slanted. And I think we need to call the journalists out for this bias and slant and not just accept that they are the arbiters of what is true and what is false. Our seventh topic for you today revolves around the Supreme Court. We cover the Supreme Court very closely because so often these neuro neurologic issues that we're all debating end up at the Supreme Court. And this is no exception this year. So I want to share with you the recent updates on what the Supreme Court has been doing this week. So I'm gonna to link to this article also by Ron Blitzer of Fox News entitled Supreme Court Denies GOP Request to Block Order Relaxing Rhode Island Absentee Ballot Requirements. A lower court had rejected a strict witness requirement for absentee balloting. And I just wanna share with you on this decision, the Supreme Court decided not to take up this case and Justice Clarence Thomas, Justice Samuel Alito and Justice Neil Gorsuch would have granted the stay in this case. So who's missing from that? Chief Justice John Roberts, is it any surprise? And it shows that there's so much an interlap of all of these issues that we're covering this week, the Supreme Court, balloting the presidential 2020 election and the importance of the president being able to nominate judges who are faithful to the constitution who are fair and independent who are not results oriented and are not subject to pressure by the elites of our society but instead want to do their job of upholding the law and i think this is a really important issue and then on the Supreme Court issue, this is a case that was seen at the lower level. It's the Fifth Circuit. I'm going to link to this AP uh, article. And the title of it is Mail Only Draft is Constitutional Federal Appeals Court Rules. The Fifth Circuit says only the Supreme Court may revise its precedent. And this is something that we're going to keep following because I am sure that this is going to go up to the Supreme Court. And even though we haven't had to initiate the draft anytime recently, and hopefully we never will again, it really plays into these uh, gender politic issues that we continue to see play out. And you might remember a famous, uh, famous case in the, I think it was the 1990s, concerning the Virginia Military Institute that went up to the Supreme Court. And the question was whether or not you could deny women admission to VMI and the Supreme Court essentially held no. And so court watchers have long thought that something like the male only draft would not survive scrutiny by the Supreme Court because of the precedence of this VMI case and similar cases. So there is a Supreme Court precedent talking about the draft specifically related to men, which is what this Fifth Circuit Court relied on in rendering its decision, but we're going to continue to see this being issue and it will go to the Supreme Court and it will be very interesting to see the legal rationale and which way the Supreme Court comes down on this issue.
The eighth and final topic that I want to share with you today is something that has exploded on the internet and particularly on Twitter. It's what I was telling you about how Ben Shapiro is trending on Twitter now for sharing his rendition of a Cardi B song that was released this week. And I believe that this mashup video that someone prepared of uh, Ben Shapiro doing the lyrics to this Cardi B video is the funniest thing. I died laughing watching it. It's just the most, I don't know, everybody has different humor, but I just thought it was very hilariously funny. And it also made me think about this higher issue. So I'm going to link to this old piece from March 2012 from Byron York in the Washington Examiner. And the title of it is In Politics Fight, Breitbart New Culture is Key. Now, Andrew Breitbart was someone who was from Hollywood. He was part of that whole uh, ecosystem. And then he, I don't know how he decided to become a conservative or someone who wasn't down with the whole woke agenda of the left, but he started Breitbart News. He started Big Hollywood. And quoting from this uh Byron York piece, I, I have a few things that I want to share with you about it. So quoting Byron York, Breitbart, web entrepreneur, writer, provocateur, television personality, did a lot of things. But for the right, by far the most important thing he did was teach again and again and again that culture is upstream from politics. Breitbart knew instinctively, as people in Washington and most other places did not, that movies, television programs, and popular music send out deeply political messages every hour of every day. They shape the culture, and then the culture shapes politics. Influence those films and TV shows and songs, and you'll eventually influence politics. And then I want to read, skip down a little bit in this uh, piece to share with you about this other part that Byron York wrote. Breitbart was close with the small, but not as small as you might think, group of conservatives in the Hollywood entertainment world. They were fond of citing various quotes from history to the effect that those who write a nation's songs are more influential than those who write a nation's laws. Breitbart's friends in the entertainment industry were extraordinarily talented, accomplished people, but many felt they had to stay quiet about their politics. They had real reason to fear that being outspokenly conservative would hurt their careers in a way that being outspokenly liberal would not. So I just want to say this again, because I think this is the, the money quote of this Byron York piece. They were fond of citing various quotes from history to the effect that those who write a nation's songs are more influential than those who write a nation's laws. So thinking about that, the usual formulation that I've heard of Andrew Breitbart's uh, quote is that uh, politics is downstream of cultures, meaning the culture dictates what our politics are. What happens in the culture results in what happens in our political battles. So I wanted to go to this other article to share with you from Elle 
on the politics of being Cardi B. So you might know, not know who Cardi B is. And I remember she had a song that came out a few years ago about Christian Louboutin shoes. And I like all things French, maybe not their military or their record of losing in wars, but I do like that French fashion, French food. I like the French language. I studied French for a long time. And I, so this song kind of appealed to me because it was talking about the shoes. And just as a little personal story, I was trying to motivate myself to accomplish a goal. And I said, you know, if I accomplish this goal, I'll save, 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 and buy myself a pair of these shoes, which I did because I accomplished my goal. And then they were the most painful shoes I have ever worn. They were unbelievably hurtful on my feet. So I don't ever wear them, but they kind of stand as a little trophy that I was able to achieve the goal that I was working on. But beside that, uh, the politics of being Cardi B. So this is an article in L. So it's a leftist uh, publication, but I felt like there was a lot of really interesting stuff in here. So she, Cardi B did this song with Megan the Stallion and I had only heard of Megan the Stallion from uh, a news article about her, uh, I guess about a month ago. And I'm going to link to this too. Megan the Stallion says she was shot in the foot. New video shows bloody prints. So I had never heard of her until this hit the uh, news about how she had been shot in the foot. And so she got together with Cardi B. They did this collaboration song called WAP. And I was thinking about how Cardi B has tried to insert herself in politics. You might not remember this, but I, reading through this article, it reminded me, and I'm going to highlight this for you. It has been only a year since rap lightning rod Cardi B sat down with Democratic presidential hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders in a Detroit nail salon in the summer of 2019. And their conversation resolved, it was an earnest conversation, according to Elle, that they talked about the most urgent issues facing Americans today, job creation, police brutality, a livable minimum wage, and workers' rights. And then reading through this further, you know, you think this rap person is just all about the Christian Louboutins, but in this article about her, it says, Cardi B is a lifelong history buff, a gangsta with a thing for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wow. I mean, talk about uh, politics there, the New Deal, the uh, dis disintegration of federalism, the overreach that we saw that the Roosevelt administration put in place that is very, very hard to pull down. And um, going down further, I thought this was a really interesting quote too. Okay, here we go. Listen to this. This, this has so much juicy uh, tidbits in it. <clears throat> so the rapper could not, never have seen a global pandemic nor its fallout, but she recognized early on the value in remaining politically engaged and the significance of this upcoming presidential election. While she may be disappointed that Sanders had dropped out of the race, she assures me she is committed to doing anything to get Joe Biden elected. She wants Trump out of office, describing him as an ineffectual leader. 
Those people he caters to, he's not going to do anything for them. It's not like Republicans are getting better housing. Ben Carson might disagree with that, but the um, Trump administration person who is completely focused on trying to get the most disadvantaged people in our country better housing. It's not like Republicans are getting better benefits. They're not. He's not doing anything for anybody. He's just saying things that appease the same people. Cardi has a different vision. I want a president who makes me feel secure. I want a president who understands the pain of the people. I want a president who is going to give us answers. That is why I like New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. I like him because he makes me feel like he's listening to me. I think there is so much that we can take from this passage in this L profile of Cardi B. So she says that President Trump is not doing anything for the people. I think that just shows you how successful the mainstream media has been at suppressing the excellent achievements that the Trump administration has made on behalf of the American people. Look at this too. She says, I want a president who makes me feel secure. Well, what, what do you mean by security and how can someone make you feel secure? I don't feel like a lot of people who support President Trump feel like he doesn't make them secure. I mean, when you think about his effort to make sure that we don't get into any more foreign wars or entanglements, the effort that he's been putting into uh, getting our economy roaring to get it back from the pandemic, the economic progress that he made before the coronavirus hit. And it's interesting, he also, she also says, I want a president who understands the pain of the people. That reminds me of Bill Clinton during the debate who said, I feel your pain. And it's one thing to feel people's pain, to be empathetic to them. But if you don't do anything that helps people help themselves, then that's not really something that benefits us. And then finally, I just thought it was so funny that she says, that's why I like Andrew Cuomo. I like him because he makes me feel like he's listening to me. Well, Andrew Cuomo right now is in a huge battle because he had that edict, remember, about putting the COVID positive patients back in the nursing home that resulted in mass carnage in the nursing homes from vulnerable elderly people being exposed to the coronavirus and having a huge death rate in nursing homes. So I think it shows the disconnect between what the mainstream media is reporting and what influential people like Cardi B are hearing and experiencing. And uh, I also think it's just very important too when we're talking about Cardi B, and I wanna make sure to share this with you, is that you might not be familiar with her song, but if, you, if we go to this really funny mashup of her song, uh, as I said, Ben Shapiro, who is a great host in his own right, and he is all about owning the libs, and he, I would say, is, seems very fearless in who he's willing to engage with, to have intellectual debate with. He called out Cardi B and Megan the Stallion for having these essentially vulgar lyrics and saying, wow, that's what female empowerment, you're really fighting for female empowerment. And someone took this and made this funny video of Ben Shapiro reading the lyrics superimposed over Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and the video. So I won't play the whole thing, but I want to play just a little bit for you of it because it's so funny to me. In this house.
There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. I said certified freak. Seven days a week. Wet ass P word. Make that pullout game weak. Yeah. Well, that's enough of that. Uh, but I want to go into why this relates to politics and why I find this so interesting. So I was asked as a token conservative to come and speak to an elite private high school a few years ago to their government class. And I wanted to hear what the students were thinking about. I wanted to understand what information they had received and why they held the views that they had. So I explained my background and why I was interested in politics and how I developed my political views and my uh, interest in politics and how I was able to express that. And then I opened it up and asked the students what questions they had for me. And one of the students asked me, how can you support a president who uses the P word, except the student didn't say the P word, they said the actual word, like Cardi B and like President Trump did in that Access Hollywood tape. And so instead of just responding to her, I wanted to really engage her and make her think about what she was saying and what she was objecting to. So I asked the whole class of students, of high school government class students, and I said, who knows and likes the rapper Cardi B? And many, many hands went up. Um, now, maybe not all the students liked her, but everybody, every single student in that class knew who Cardi B was. And I said, I pointed out to them, she uses that word, the P word, in her music. So it's not really, your complaint is not really whether Trump uses the P word, because you don't have a problem with that P word in another context. And it's not the vulgarity of it because you're, you're, not, you're not holding that against Cardi B. And I think that it stunned the students in the class. And of course they had many different responses to it, which any person on the left would have and why my uh, pointing out to them that they don't mind that word in the music they listen to is not the equivalent to the president of the United States saying, or the person who became the president of the United States. I understand all that, but I just think it's critical to go back to this Andrew Breitbart acknowledgement or insight that politics is downstream of culture. And rappers like Cardi B are very influential. They have a following and they have political viewpoints. And so this thing that exploded on Twitter this week and on the internet about Ben Shapiro and Cardi B shows you how important it is to be on top of these cultural issues too, because politics is downstream on culture. So I think we need to keep an eye on this space. And I'd like to commend Ben Shapiro for going into the arena with Cardi B and not being worried about being canceled. And think about that Breitbart piece that Byron York wrote about that people in Hollywood feel like they can't be forthcoming about their views because they'll get fired, they'll, they'll be shunned by their society. And I think that's something that's gripping, gripping our entire country and that's a problem. I hope that you will take time to uh, comment down below on where you're from. We are attracting a lot of viewers from around the world. And so I would be interested in knowing where you are from in the United States, or if you're from a different country, tell us what country you're from. And uh, please subscribe below and let me know what topics you would like me to cover next. 
hit the bell so you don't miss a notification about any upcoming episodes. And I thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.